0: Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then, let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This urban farm podcast is brought to you by Seed Bank Box, a monthly seed subscription for the urban farmer. Seed Bank Box is one great big seed surprise. Each month you get a shipment with eight to ten varieties of seeds, along with a description and planting instructions. Hit the seed bank lottery. Get more information at urbanfarm.org forward slash seedbankbox. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is improving polyculture growing techniques. We're talking with returning guest Scott Murray about California-grown coffee and oh, so much more. Scott has 44 years of organic agricultural production experience in the United States and Mexico. He has a multitude of experience with conservation, food production, and environmental leadership, including serving as an elected California conservation official for the last 26 years. Scott also specializes in farmland preservation projects utilizing smart growth principles. He now does farm creation and consulting as his primary work, including work on a farm growing coffee in Southern California. We got to meet Scott on one of our very first podcasts, episode 11 in December of 2015. Welcome back to the show today. Scott, are you ready to rock the coffee plantation? I am. Sweet. So can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening with you since we chatted last?
1: Well, Pretty cool because we talked about avocado growing the last time. Yep. And for one of my clients, we converted his 10 acres, well, almost 11 acres of avocados to organic. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit of a process. In this case, it took three years because he had been farming with chemicals. And when we got towards the end of that three-year period, we got kind of excited about how we could densify the production and optimize the water use. Uh Uh-huh. And this involves going from monoculture to polyculture. So, what we looked at is the research that had been done here in California, now about 15 years of research, where avocados grow, coffee will grow. Oh, This has been observed in Central America and Hawaii and other places, but a California farmer and a California co-op extension researcher were working on a project to bring long-gone and lychee varieties to Southern California, and they were traveling in Hawaii and saw every place they went and saw avocados, they would see coffee trees. They thought, we should take some seeds home and try them in California. So there's a very conventional zone in the world. You know, 15 degrees above and below the equator, that is considered the coffee region. Uh Here we're at approximately 33 degrees and people would say it's impossible to grow coffee here. But in our Southern California climate, we have some coastally associated land Uh that generally have some elevation and that's where we plant our avocados. So the cold air, when we get it, can drain off the trees and not freeze them. Right. except for in the very exceptional years. And generally, they'll plant avocados, like three quarters of a slope, and then the bottom quarter of the slope, they'll put citrus. Where it can get a little colder, citrus can take more cold. Right. But we're in a crisis here in Southern California because our avocado growing methods are rooted in 50 to 100 years of history, and they haven't been adapting and changing rapidly enough. So we have a lot of avocado growers who really are not farmers. They're landowners who bought a piece of property that had avocado trees on it. And often these properties were managed by grove managers. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges with growing any tree crop is that trees have an economic lifetime. In the case of avocados, about 50 years. In the case of coffee trees, about 50 years. And a professor at Cornell that I heard speak, he was professor of pomology he talked about how if you had a 100 acre apple orchard you should replant 5 acres of it every year mm-hmm. and his point was that in every 20 years you'd have a completely new orchard and he recommended you know always pull out the varieties that the market has started to shy on. For example, Red Delicious apples, a wonderful apple, especially when grown organically. Right. But there are just too many of them and people started getting interested in other varieties of apples. So now any old Red Delicious orchard is a liability. And so with avocados, we've been actually losing a lot of our acreage, about 25% in the last 10 years because of high water costs. And the fact that the growers were not innovating. Right. That's a tricky thing. With most fruit trees, you need to prune them on a regular basis mm-hmm. to stimulate production. Right. And avocados are a little bit different. What people would do is let them grow for about 10 to 12 years, and then they would stump these 30 to 40 foot tall trees. All the way down to about six feet. Wow. And then let them regrow two to three years before they would start to set fruit again. And then they'd go through this ten to twelve year cycle and get stumped again. Well, the trees that I was working with, my clients' trees, are now fifty years old and we were looking at them, you know, they're getting old, they're showing their age, they're not as happy as a big tree as they used to be. Right. And so everybody says, well, we should just pull them out, turn the water off, and let them die, and then you know pull them out. Well, I recommended a different course. I recommended that we stump those trees, and then when they regrow, that we prune them to keep them small. So now we have a 50-year-old big root system that was having a hard time supporting a big tree, and we're giving it a tree that is kind of shaped like a donut, only about 12 to 15 feet tall, right? And this thick band of fruiting wood around the tree, and we have to prune those every year. So we're in our second pruning right now. We've got a very talented young lady who has been studying horticulture and pruning a lot of fruit trees. And she's cutting them all. We call it giving them a haircut so that they don't grow above 15 feet. Nice. We maintain the fruiting wood. But then the question was, what do we do in between? And I'm very fascinated in alternative crops for San Diego County. Mm -hmm. I've been testing things like mangoes and bananas and papayas and cherimoya and these other crops. And those are good. Also replanting in line with our avocado trees, more new avocado trees that are on more advanced rooting wood and that we can keep in a high density format. We'll always keep them small. Mm -hmm. But then it opened up an opportunity for me to create what I call a microchip rainforest. So within this area, normally avocados are planted about 28 to 30 feet apart in rows so that there can be a road between every row.
0: Well, that would make sense. But then the trees were also big trees. So if you cut them from 60 foot down to 16 feet, you got a lot of room between the rows.
1: We would take a section that had five access roads and we would maintain one on either side. And then the three internal ones, we planted two rows of coffee with six foot spacing right down the middle. And this creates what I call the microchip rainforest to help these new coffee trees get started. Mm -hmm. They had the protection and friendship of their associated trees. We're working with a researcher who's studying the interactions between the root systems of the two
0: trees. Oh, right
1: which is very interesting. When we planted the coffee, the whole program is organic. So we built an organic soil, a packet for every tree. So it was uniform. We put a certain amount of peat moss to acidify the soil for the coffee. We put a certain amount of dairy compost as a food source. And then we made these bags of our high energy fertilizers, one that's called Dr. Earth acid lovers, right. and we used worm castings, and we used mycorrhizal propagules. Now, this is probably one of the key parts. These propagules, when presented with a germinating root, growing root, they will grow into that developing root uh-huh. and then grow out mycological hyphae. So basically it's creating a symbiosis between the actual roots of the tree mm-hmm. and mycological roots that can reach out and give the root system a quadratic expansion. And the really good thing wow. is that the mycorrhiza can dissolve minerals with their mm-hmm. biological acids and they'll trade those minerals literally growing right into the root of the avocado or coffee, they'll trade those minerals for glucose that comes from photosynthesis. It creates a symbiotic relationship that quadruples the mass of the root system in its ability to uptake nutrients.
0: Wow. Before you go past that, that's something that we've been advocating for our fruit tree program here in Phoenix for the past couple of years. We have people plant their tree with a pound of azomite, a pound of worm castings, and an ounce of mycorrhiza. Right. And the good news is, for y'all listening out there, we have all of those available in our shopping cart at urbanfarm.org. So we've made those products available to ship to people out in the world.
1: That's really critical because sometimes those things are hard to find. Yes, exactly. For a grower. Yeah. But critical to use. Plus, when we ended up developing of an 11 acre area, we ended up developing about four acres. So not quite half, but almost half of the spot was stumped And developed, laid out for the avocado planting. On my website at Uh edgeofurbanfarm.com, there is a drone video that shows what the planting looked like when we finished it. Yes. What we did is we invested in a gopher basket under every single tree, Mm -hmm. and we made those ourselves with our crews. We would cut two by two foot squares of aviary wire, which is half the whole size versus chicken wire. So the gopher had. Can't get their little head through it. Right. We'd form these baskets and put those in the soil. We'd put our soil blend in, and then we'd plant our little trees, which were in four by four by eight-inch pots and about twelve to sixteen inches tall. Then we put in two stakes, one towards the prevailing wind and one towards the Santa Ana winds, which are our seasonal, like the haboobs of Arizona, other desert winds. And then we wrapped that with a cage of chicken wire so basically there's a cylinder of chicken wire that's about uh, four feet tall uh-huh. it's secured by two stakes and then around the outside of that we wrapped agricultural fabric it's floating row cover one of the brand names is agribond right and this is a very good material to create a protected environment for the plants to get established right considering the cost of putting in this very risky California coffee plantation, taking these extra measures were what I call self-insurance for a farmer.
0: Oh yes, really important.
1: Everything Buffett's a farmer. Yeah. And just to illustrate, with this increase of the coffee project, a number of other growers are starting to establish test plantations. And one grower put in about 600 plants about 30 miles south of me. And he determined that gopher baskets were too expensive. And so he didn't put gopher baskets in the hole. Uh-huh. In the first year, he lost about 310 of his plants to gophers.
0: Out of 600.
1: Out of 600, he's lost over half. That's bad. And then, of course, he comes back and says, "How come? You know, what's wrong? What did I do? You know?" And it's like, "Well." Oh, you didn't put baskets in. Oh, it was too expensive for you. Well, you can buy a basket that would hold this size of a little tree for a, about $4. Mm-hmm. We made ours probably for $1.50. Yeah. So that was a very inexpensive insurance. However, we did have one very smart gopher Really. out of 2,200 plants. Uh-huh. In the first month, we lost one plant to a gopher. And he drilled his hole up the outside of the gopher. Her basket and climbed over and then drilled down in and ate the little tree and then climbed out.
0: <laughs> Fortunately,
1: wow. there was only one. Yeah. When we make a planting, we always buy some extra plants and calculate that we will have some losses. Right. Three percent is the calculation that I use for my clients. You know, if I can hit three percent, I'm doing really, really good. Ten percent that scares me. We're not doing the right thing. But when you're planting a lot of trees and you have crews doing it, you literally can't watch every single one and you have to train well and then trust. Right. But I train well, I trust, and I also do as many self-insurance measures as I can. Yeah.
0: I want to review that real quick. So basically you dug the hole, you put a gopher basket in place. You planted the tree using nutrients and mycorrhiza. You protected the top part of the tree with another basket of sorts and then covered it with agribond.
1: Yes. Wow. And that protection, we have very hungry rabbits and
0: squirrels. Yep.
1: And, you know, imagine the the trunks of these trees were like half the thickness of a pencil to the thickness of a pencil. Uh Uh-huh. So two bites from a rabbit, and that tree is history. History, yeah. And what we did is we left those covers in place for a whole year. Mm -hmm. So we planted September to December. You know, the end of September through the beginning of December basically two full months of planting in a couple of weeks. And then we kept them covered through the winter months, but also the summer months. And this helped the plants focus on establishing their root system right? and, you know, partying with those mycorrhiza propagals. Propagals are similar to spores, but even more basic than spores, but that's how mycorrhiza rocks. Uh-huh. And at the end of about 10 months, we started to harden off our coffee trees, which now filled up many of these cages. So Many of these plants were 18 to 24 inches wide and three feet tall. Wow. And we rolled up the fabric from the base till it was just a band around the top to Mm -hmm. slowly acclimate the plants to the full hot sun. Because if we just took the cover off, the plant would sunburn right. with the intensity of the sun. So that was a process that we did roughly over two months. And then many of the baskets were so stuffed with coffee plants. <laughs> it defined kind of where we started. We started taking the wire off of the ones that were screaming because they wanted to get out. Yeah, And we have quite a variability because we planted some starting September 23rd. So those plants had a week of September and four weeks of October Still warmth. The plants that were planted in December were into pretty cool weather. Right. However, They did well, they just grew more slowly. So across our four acres, we start up on a high ridge, we go down a west-facing slope, we have a valley area, the lowest part of our farm, and then we go over what we call the knoll, a small ridge on the west of the farm. Mm -hmm. So we actually call it five microclimate zone. And to myself, I'm a scientist farmer. Mm -hmm. So I studied You know, not only horticulture, but biology and soil science, and I think like a scientist. So I planted the whole plantation as uniform as possible so the the soil mix and all that so we can deliver a lot of scientific information from our growing you know all right we put a digital weather station at the very highest field which we call our ridge and then at the very lowest field which we call our valley and the valley had you know healthy avocado trees in it but it is low and the cold air will sink into there mm-hmm. and the coffee trees that their leaves can be burned by the cold. But we've been learning, you know, studying the coffee. I mean, it's like, wow, here's a whole new thing for California. It's wonderful. Everybody says it's impossible. So there's no way you can fail if you can grow these trees. And there's a book that I want to suggest. It's called Coffee, Growing, Processing, and Sustainable Production. Uh-huh. And it's edited by Gene Nicholas. Wintjens, a gentleman from Denmark uh-huh. and so there's contributors from all over the world and this book is 1040 pages Whoa. It's like the the bible of coffee growing
0: the tome and it's
1: pricey and on Amazon it's $125.28 wow but there's another book on Amazon right now that I haven't gotten yet just came on it's called Harvesting Coffee The Life of a Bean from Planting to Processing for 6.99 but it's only 69 pages yeah So that would be a great introduction primer for someone. But if you're going to study coffee growing, this book, Coffee, is the best one available in the world right now. So when we look, it's like, okay, we're trying something new. So Uh we give it the best possible care and protection. And we need to learn more about coffee. And there's Two basic groups in the family of coffee, there are actually many sub-coffee varieties, but Robusta and Aribica. And the Robusta coffees are what we call tropical lowland coffees. They grow them in places like Brazil and Vietnam, and they're massive plants, 16 to 20 feet tall. Wow! And they produce beans in three months you know, from flower to bean. Uh-huh. But the Arabica coffees are really the ones that we see. Like if we go to a coffee shop or we see a bar displaying different varieties of coffees in a store that you can buy, and they'll say shade-grown mountain grown so i started thinking about it and the shade that they're talking about is not like the shade under an umbrella at the beach Mm -hmm. total absence of direct light just some reflected light right it's what's called a dappled shade right so the coffee trees grow anywhere from six feet for dwarf varieties to 16 feet for the old-fashioned varieties from the early history of coffee. Uh-huh. They're harder to pick. They use a hooked pole to pull the plant over so that they can pick
0: oh, the beans. Oh, right.
1: So over time, as coffee varieties have been bred, they've been breeding them to be smaller. The, the ideal coffee tree now for world production is about six to 10 feet. Wow. And stouter, more productive yeah. in its shape. But I have coffee that I bought last month that was grown at 3,000 meters on the side of a volcano in Kenya, Uh you know, Mount Kilimanjaro. And just to use the rough calculation that one meter is roughly one yard, it's not exactly. Right. So you figure at 3,000 meters, that's roughly 9,000 feet. Yeah. And when you go up in elevation in the tropics, you become temperate. And when we go north from the tropics to California, for example, we call ourselves Mediterranean temperate. I've right. begun to learn that coffee trees can probably take more cold than people think. It's not their favorite thing, but can they tolerate it in very short bursts? Okay. So we're learning more and more about the coffee tree and we're breaking this orthodoxy <laughs> by growing it way outside of its zone. Right. But the California coffee that's been grown at the test orchards or the test plantings now for 15 years has come out in the top 10% of world coffees. And as sort of a regular consumer, I never knew that there was an ultra premium marketplace. Mm -hmm. I've seen Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee for $25 a pound and a few others like that. But there's actually a marketplace in the world that goes in the range of $50 to $100 a pound. Whoa. And so, Last year, the test planting sold all their coffee to a company called Blue Bottle between $65 and $85 a pound for green beans. And when you roast green beans, you drive off about 20% of the weight in moisture. Uh-huh. That turns out to be, you know, at retail, 100 to $200 a pound and maybe 15 or $16 just for a cup of coffee. Whoa. But like a fine wine. Uh-huh. You know, if a wine merchant visited my house today and said, hey, I bought a bottle of Romani Conti to share with you. Well, that's the single most notable vineyard in France. It's only about six acres, but the microclimate and the soil right there produce the legendary wine of France. And I would say, open it up. I'd love to have, you know, a taste. But in a restaurant, you might pay $100 a glass. Wow. And that's not exceptional. It's high. But many people are used to paying anywhere from 6 to $15 for a glass of wine in a restaurant. Of course. And if it was a very high-quality coffee to pay a similar price, might be worthwhile yeah so blue bottle did a special where they would sell you a cup of coffee for sixteen dollars and you'd get a card with it that they brew it very carefully and serve it to you and it's an exquisite experience and you get a card with a qr code on it and that would allow you to buy one tin of their roasted california bean Uh 100 gram for a hundred dollars oh 100 grams would be four ounces four ounces so be one quarter of a pound so it's like 150 grams, something like that. Wow. And they sold out in two weeks, but it wasn't a lot. So now there's an interest in the coffee world mm-hmm. and this conversion of our agricultural assets is something that we have to do. We're losing productive agricultural assets to development, and we're losing them to the cost of water, but people still want to eat. It's the strangest thing. (laughs) We have to figure out how to address that issue. Right now, for example, I'm putting together a portfolio of properties, and I'm looking for investors that would like to invest in coffee production in California, and it would start with buying avocado properties around our region. So we'd have different microclimates, different terroir for our coffee, uh-huh. and we'll regenerate and intensify the avocados and other fruits. So on our test planting, we've been testing adding mangoes, testing adding papayas, charmoyas bananas. Wow. And this all goes together to create this polycultural system which mm-hmm. resembles the rainforest but it's artificial but it has the benefits of the rainforest. So when we originally stumped our trees, the ridge top we maintained four rows on the very east side where the Santa Ana winds come from. Yep. And then about 20 rows over we maintained another six rows so we had these two windbreaks to give our new zone, a little protection. Yep. Just recently, we were standing looking at that. The older trees that weren't pruned now need to be pruned. And now you cannot see across the planting because the avocado trees, even though they're not all in a straight line, they're staggered in their rows, Mm -hmm. they form a wall of vegetation that breaks the wind and protects this microclimate for the coffee. So our plants at 26 months in the ground.
0: What's the timeline? And what does your success look like?
1: At 26 months, I was carefully observing the plants like I have been all along. And we saw a massive amount of fruit on uh, 25% of our trees are fruiting heavily this first year. And that's two years when they expected they wouldn't start fruiting for four years. Wow. And at 26 months, we started noticing those beans turning red. Uh-huh. Most of our varieties have red beans, but we have a couple of varieties that have yellow cherries. Wow, And they were coloring up. I'm like, oh my gosh. And we use a refractometer to test the sugar level in the cherry. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for at least 24% sugar. That means that the quality of the bean has developed to its maximum potential. So then we pick only the brightest colored red or yellow berries, This is now the next process we're learning. We're training coffee pickers Uh and finding folks that have previous experience from where they lived before and also working to develop and improve upon the the methods of our handling and processing the coffee. You have to separate the beans from the cherries, then you have to dry the beans, then you have to take off the parchment, which is a coating around the seed, Mm -hmm. dry them some more, and then they're green beans and they're ready to be roasted, but they're also stable at that point to be shipped and transported. Actually, green bean coffee is stable for a couple of years. Wow. I'll end with this most interesting is the number one world economic engine is oil Mm -hmm. and the number two world economic engine are coffee beans
0: isn't that amazing yeah i want to clarify a couple things you said cherry and bean so what are you talking about when you say cherry and bean so that people know that it's the same thing it's not different it's not two different things you're talking about
1: well this Seed in most tree fruit is on the inside protected. Right. So you think of a classic cherry in the American trade as this nice round little fruit, and you bite it open, and inside is a seed. Mm -hmm. So coffee is actually very much the same. It's a very tasty cherry. It has a lot of phytochemicals, and it has a lot of caffeine in it, but we pop that cherry in our mouths, and we eat the skin and the pulp, and then, boom, we spit out two seeds occasionally you'll have one very large seed and occasionally you'll have like three seeds that are fitting in there
0: uh-huh.
1: the highest percentage is two seeds wow. each cherry
0: uh-huh and how big is each cherry
1: they really resemble a small classic cherry so oh, they're right. they're about three quarters of an inch long and about uh-huh. a half inch wide they're a little oval in shape not quite as round as a regular cherry because uh-huh. the seeds inside the coffee beans are long Sh- rather than like the cherry pit, which is round. Wow,
0: cool. And so at this point, you're 28 months in. Yep. And you've actually harvested your first crop.
1: Well, we've started test harvesting. Uh huh. But what we're doing is we're waiting for the sugar levels to increase a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. With ultra premium coffee, we're in no hurry to rush the development. And one of the bonuses for growing coffee in California is, I mentioned earlier, the variety Robusta will be ready to pick in three months. In the classic coffee zones of the world, Aribica cherries are generally ready in six to eight months. Wow! But because of our climate being a little colder, longer, different, the seeds basically take a full year to ripen. The cherries take a full year to ripen. But that extra time, what we call cherry on bean Uh increases the flavor profiles. And then I personally, I'm an organic grower, and I think my organic growing fertility practices add to the flavor profile as well.
0: Of course they do. (laughs)
1: Wow.
0: Well, congratulations. So you'll be harvesting the year-long beans when?
1: We'll probably start in a week or so. Ah. And then our harvest will probably go on for three to four months. One thing that costs a lot of avocado growers is that the fruit don't all get up to commercial perfect size at the same time. Right. But they generally strip pick the trees and send it all to the packing shed. All at once. But you can also size pick the trees where you pick every week or two only those fruit that are at the optimum size so the little ones continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So we will start picking in about two weeks. We tested the sugars last week. We're up to 22% and we want to get above 24%. But then the cherries will continue to ripen over about four months. Mm -hmm. We'll pick every week and every plant will get visited probably 10 to 20 times. Wow. And the cherries get taken off of it. So our goal is to approximate the cost of production of coffee in Hawaii. There's also coffee produced in Puerto Rico, but that industry has suffered with the building of factories that took a lot of the farm labor out. But Hawaii, the average cost of production is $24 a pound, and that's our target here. But you'll only know after a couple of years what your actual costs are on an annual basis, because then you'll have some data that you can crunch.
0: Wow. How incredibly exciting is that? Growing coffee in California successfully.
1: It's the natural evolution of farming. We have to think of new crops. Mm -hmm. We have to figure out ways to make them cost effective. Then we have to try them and see if they'll work. And then we have to help growers ramp them up and train them and build the infrastructure that improves it. But I answered an email today, somebody that heard about our coffee growing, you know, he's a roaster. I want to buy your beans. You know? <laughs> and it's like, oh boy, there's a long line of people that are waiting to buy California beans. Right. So we're very excited about that, but we can't build an industry on what we call the peaks, we have to build an industry on the long haul, Yeah. so we're looking to build a real quality brand for California and do all the growing steps the best possible so that we have the best quality of coffee to offer. But it'll be much like wine. It's an estate-grown product. Yeah, This farm could be very different than a farm just close by, a mile or two away. The climate will be a little different. The soil will be a little different. The grower will be different. Yeah. So we have a lot to learn.
0: Yeah, wow. And and you recently shared with me. So for all of you out there that don't know, I've known Scott for a decade or so, and we've visited many, many times over the years. I visited his place in Vista, California, and he's visited my place here in Phoenix, Arizona. So I've known about this project, and I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for quite a while. So thanks for coming on and sharing.
1: I think it's really important to inspire people to try new things and be very scientific about it and see if they'll work and see if you can build a business around it.
0: Yeah, perfect. And you recently spoke at the first California Coffee Conference. You shared with me about that a couple of months ago. Tell me about that.
1: Well... The good thing about California is we have a wonderful co-op extension, our agricultural research people that help growers. Uh-huh. And originally, one of the co-op extension people was involved with the original farmer. They were a collaborating team. They've now gotten our UC Davis has been sequencing the genome of different crops, and they've now sequenced the genome of coffee for the first time. Uh-huh. That's exciting to us because there's a tendency in the naming of plants to you know, name the plant, And the same seed strain might get three or four different names, and you'll have to grow them out and compare them. With genetic mapping, we can definitely say, this one is this, and this one is this. perfect. It's not genetic engineering. It's just using the precursor techniques to find out what the genetics are of the plant. Mm -hmm. And then it can help us in our propagation and improvement of the varieties that we're testing. Yeah. In the original planting I did, I've planted 11 different varieties. And there's a test plot in all five climate zones that has all the varieties in it. And then they're spread out in production blocks all across the property so that over time, I'll be able to deliver a lot of information. This particular variety mm-hmm. can take more cold than those other 10 varieties. Right. That'd be very valuable information. Yeah. Or these two varieties might be the most desirable ones in the marketplace. Well, that's very powerful information as well.
0: This is a huge opportunity for Californians to jump in and develop coffee plantations and, you know, build a long term business.
1: Yes. An exciting one, too.
0: Yeah. Very exciting. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this information with us, Scott.
1: Yes. My pleasure.
0: I have just one question. I I know I ask a bunch of questions on most of our podcasts, but you've already been on one. So if you want to hear the answers to our standard questions, go back to episode 11 on urbanfarmpodcast.org and you can find out more information about Scott there. But what advice do you have? I always like to ask this question. What advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Well, I think that we're in a crisis right now in our agricultural system. We have... Not enough young farmers to take over from the old farmers. Mm-hmm. I'm 64 now. I'm just past the average age, which is 59 to 61. And for every 25-year-old farmer we have in agriculture today, we have five 75-year-old farmers still wow. working in agriculture. Yeah. And unfortunately, we need to ask them to work at least another 20 years because. It's going to take us that long to ramp up, inspiring and training more people to be agriculturalists, mm-hmm. and. The opportunities exist everywhere. I know a guy who's growing vegetables in Barrow, Alaska, above the Arctic Circle. Wow. And he built an amazing root cellar underneath the permafrost. That, And he's the only source of fresh vegetables that aren't flown in in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And he's had to be very clever, but he's growing food for his community. Yeah. And all across our country, we have opportunities to put the land to work. And I think that the most important thing right now is to inspire new farmers so that's young people, and that's career-changing people, and that's also seniors that are looking for something to do in their living retirement. Yeah. You know, that some people kind of retire, and then it becomes the death march, but you still have so many skills. Yeah. And because of having to ask our farmers to work to their 90s. I've also been catching stories about 90-year-old farmers. And we have two here in Southern California that I know that are phenomenal. One of them is the most successful fruit breeder since Luther Burbank. His name is Floyd Zager. He's 93. wow, And he's doing over 2,000 crosses in his 93rd year. He's got 454 patented fruit varieties. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a wonderful old gentleman, Mr. Peterson, that grows here in Southern California. He's 96. Wow. And he still drives his tractor and he grows <laughs> dry land beans, which is, you know, mind boggling. Yeah. But it keeps him happy and alive. So my advice to your listeners is to look around and see, can you plant some more fruit trees? Can you start a garden? Even one plant of herbs in your kitchen that you can enjoy Mm -hmm. is something you've grown. You can be a grower in four days by starting to grow sprouts on your counter. So get involved in where your food is coming from and the quality of your food. And when you buy food, especially fruit, Mm -hmm. smell it. Because if the strawberry smells like a strawberry, it's going to taste like one. If it has no smell.
0: Don't buy it. Don't buy it. it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Once again, Scott.
1: I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: You bet. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you and talk coffee, and especially if you're out there listening and you're thinking, you know, it's time for me to invest in some coffee plantations in California. How would our listeners catch you?
1: Well, there's two ways. My email is my name, Scott A. Murray, M U R R A Y, at sbcglobal.net. Mm-hmm. And you can look me up on my website at edgeofurbanfarm.com. And there's also a great video on that homepage that is oh, yes. the drone flight over the coffee plantation.
0: Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash California coffee. And if you would like to hear more from Scott, you can find our 11th podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash podcast 11 we are your urban farming resource you can find our podcast on itunes google play stitcher and iHeartRadio. radio also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles podcasts, webinars courses and more well that's it for today thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast
1: take care Woo!
0: claiming your inner urban farmer is easy grow food share it and name your farm then let the world know You're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. As listeners to our podcast, you know that I love experimenting. And as urban farmers and gardeners, I can predict that you probably have done your fair share of experiments with new seed varieties. But if you are as busy as I am, sometimes just finding new seeds is a challenge. Well, what if someone else did the work for you? I'd like to introduce you to Seed Bank Box, an excellent source of non-GMO and heirloom seeds delivered right to your door. Each month, you will receive 8 to 10 surprise seed varieties with information for each seed on a card you'll keep. It's time to start experimenting again. Let Seed Bank Box help you plant the garden of your dreams. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash for more information and to sign up.